time for us to do something. Good afternoon and welcome to Pello Talk. Well, this afternoon we've got a very uh, special guest and interview with uh, South Australian Senator for the Liberal Party, Senator Alex Antic. Uh, now, Alex has made a post on his Facebook page recently saying that he is not going to support government legislation as a member of the government until Scott Morrison provides protection from uh, vaccine mandates across Australia. Uh, Alex, thank you very much for joining me on Pillow Talk. G'day, Dave. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Now, I won't summarise and introduce everything you've said too much, um, but just to set the scene for those people who somehow have been living under a rock, perhaps having a very uh, peaceful life without watching the lying harlot media. But uh, there's been a pandemic going on, and uh, so we're told. Uh, it's got incredibly low um, fatality, case fatality rates, and uh, it's been now going on for a very long time. Hospitals around Australia, state governments around Australia have had more than 18 months to fortify and expand the capacity of the health service. Uh, they seem to have completely failed to do so, opting entirely instead for a strategy on removing and violating um, fundamental human rights granted by God, not government. Part of that transgress has uh, now evolved that if you can't prove you've taken uh, both uh, doses of the mass medication being offered by government, then you're actually legally able to be discriminated against and excluded from polite society, not able to work for many, many people. I've got a 16-year-old who is just now being told that within weeks it will be illegal for McDonald's to roster him in Queensland. Um, there are many, many teenagers who have nearly no risk at all from this vaccine who will be excluded from their social life, which is probably the worst possible outcome for a teenager. Mm. Uh, we're seeing these people with vaccine injuries. And regardless of the science, is a vaccine mandate something that ever, even in the worst possible hypothetical scenario, has a legitimate place in a democratic, inclusive society? Well, Dave, it's a, it's a good question. And I think it comes up um, occasionally in this context. Um, that is, I hear people say all the time, uh, I'm not for mandates. Um, you know, if you're driving a truck uh, and you're driving it through, um, you know, toll stations and so on, you shouldn't be mandated because you're not a risk. But um, if you're working in the healthcare system, uh, that's okay in those circumstances because you're around people now. And, and particularly, in, you know, the infirm. Um, now, I've got a bit of a problem with that, I have to say, um, because, uh, and, and you know, it may be that I'm um, idealistic and, uh, uh, you know, on these matters, but ultimately, um, I don't think it's ever right to force medical treatment of whatever nature it is onto people without their consent. Now, there are probably a range of examples in the, you know, if, but, and what world where that, that you know, people could come up with. but. We're talking about the real world here, and we're talking about um, medical um, treatments which are, um, you know, um, untested. I mean, frankly, they they are not overly uh, tested. They've got provisional approval with the TGA. Uh, but even if that wasn't the case, fundamentally, um, it is almost impossible to imagine a situation where government 
uh, an employer um, or even, um, you know, as we've been saying, bureaucracies with these kind of authoritarian tendencies should ever be in a position where they tell people what to do with their own uh, their own body. Uh, I mean, we went through this here in South Australia. I know in Queensland as well. The, the irony of this debate happening nine months after um, the, the parliament here in South Australia introduced um, late-term abortion, abortion to birth legislation in February, uh, where we heard all the time about how it was my body, my choice. Right. And a series of months later, um, that seems to be the, uh, the completely flipped 180 degrees on its head. So look, uh, that bodily autonomy is absolutely paramount in my mind. What's your solution? What's your strategy right now? We're seeing um, the state governments uh, basically in lockstep, either with various dates and various extents, uh, to, to various extents, um, stripping basic human rights away from people. Uh, correct. Apartheid, the word, is a, um, a word from South Africa in Afrikaans, which means apartness. Uh, hmm. It is the state of one people being apart from another. Now, in South Africa, it was based on racial discrimination. Uh, in the Western world, we're now seeing it very prolific. And I guess we're worried, especially about Australia, where it's hmm. based on medical discrimination. Um, and that's not even people who are unhealthy. That's just based on people who have uh, abstained from a particular medical procedure that they don't think they need. Um, what do you think is the solution um, which a federal senator uh, can bring to this injustice? Yeah, well, look, I think, uh, I mean, the first thing is a very global um, statement about being a voice for people that feel, I think, pretty voiceless at the moment. Uh, and there are many, myself um, and Senator Gerard Rennick and uh, there are others who are speaking about this issue as well, so people should be comfortable in that notion. But um, I mean, this, there's a multifaceted approach to this. The, the first thing to bear in mind is that these mandates are largely, with a couple of exceptions, happening because of in, introduction through the state governments. And so here in South Australia, most of these mandates arise as a result of amendments which were made to the Emergency Management Act uh, at state level, which gives the state control of the police commissioner the um, ability to um, make directions. And some of those directions have, of course, been um, happening in the last month, uh, where police and nurses and, and allied health professionals like chiropractors, social workers, for, for some reason, have all been uh, told they need to you know, take steps to get the vaccine. Now, the issue is um, a complicated uh, constitutional one, in a sense, where um, really the federal government um, gave away those powers, those plenary powers, to the states to make health decisions like that. So the ability for the Commonwealth government to actually mandate or overstep over um, the state governments on mandates is a tricky one. There are some powers in the Bio, um, Biosecurity Act, I should say, which which might uh, operate in that in that phase. But really, I think the the main game here revolves around that issue you used earlier of discrimination. Um, I mean, as it stands at the moment, um, there are there is Commonwealth legislation for discrimination against uh, people on the basis of sex on the basis of disability, on the basis of all sorts of things, um, race, of course. Um, and we're about to introduce uh, legislation to deal with religious discrimination as well. Um, and yet, and here in South Australia, under our Equal Opportunity Act, there are state-based versions of that as well. I mean, effectively, you could walk into a shop um, in South Australia and be rejected because of the colour of your skin, and that would become, you know, an offence. Uh, and yet, your inability or one willingness to take a particular medical procedure like a vaccine 
uh, there's no recourse against that business. And in fact, they're being encouraged in many cases to to uh, to think about mandating those and making you know showing your vaccine passport. So really, I think the the argument here really surrounds this issue of discrimination. Um, people shouldn't be stopped from entering buildings, from going to get essential services and all the other things that come with that. We talked, I mean, I, I spoke earlier in the year and back in June and July when this was, of course, still a conspiracy theory because this was coming um, mm. uh, about vaccine passports and, and what would happen. And we, we, many of us talked about this issue, as you say, of creating a two-tiered society and a part society. Uh, and we're seeing it play out in front of our very eyes. It's wrong. Um, it's fundamentally wrong from a whole range of reasons. And frankly, to use that old hash term, it's, it's un-Australian. Right. Now, you've um, basically said on your Facebook post that you are going to be withholding supply of your votes. Um, you're, you're not going to be supporting, just not opposing, but just abstaining from any legislation that uh, the Morrison government, which you're a part of, uh, is going to try and, and pass from now on. Now, that's actually not very long. So first question is, does Scott Morrison really care? Uh, is this just, you know, sticking your tongue out and blowing raspberries at him? Or is this actually harming him in any measurable way? So what's the incentive uh, with yourself and Senator Rennick and the One Nation senators um, either abstaining from or, or voting against any legislation the government tries to pass from here on? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think the first thing is, I think I think the message is loud and clear with the Prime Minister. I think, um, you know, he does he does get this. Um, the path through is a more difficult one, I think, as for the reasons I've just described there. And obviously, um, you know, um, I think bringing this matter to uh, the front of the queue is probably the uh, the intention here. Um, and you're right, um, my, my uh, and, and I'm, you know, very much following the lead of Senator Rennick, who uh, was the first off cab off the rank in this in this instance. Um, to, to withhold uh, our votes. And really what that says is I'm not participating in anything um, until this issue is fixed because this is the preeminent issue of our time. Now, what that means in, in practical terms is uh, that there is a, uh, a supply problem. Um, the numbers are very tight in the Senate. There are 76 uh, senators in our federal parliament um, and to pass legislation, you need 39 of them. Coalition starts with 36. And if two withhold their vote, that's that's two less, which may not seem like a lot, um, but in order to pass, for the government to pass legislation um, without the support of Labor and the Greens, um, you need three of the five crossbenchers. And of course, those numbers stack up as people like ourselves um, decide to step out, if you like. So um, look, it's, it's, it's not a card that you would wanna play under normal circumstances, but I, I do feel very, very strongly about what's happening. I do feel very, very strongly about bringing it to the attention of the parliament as soon as possible because we are on the clock. Uh, people in South Australia, we, we lost two, two to 300 police officers who were uh, stood down, I think yesterday or the day before, um, uh, you know, this, this very week, uh, nurses the week before, people are losing their jobs. Um, and look, these are, not, these are not things that the federal government are doing, but there are things that the federal government can fix. I uh, have to say, I've just noticed your uh, lovely picture of uh, President Reagan behind <laughs> you. And if uh, you are that type of conservative, we are cut from the same cloth. Uh, well done. Although um, you it's do need to make it complete and, uh, and have a picture of the Queen behind you as well. If you, want, if you want, I can get uh, Senator Abetz to send you one. <laughs> he has many. He loves, he loves giving them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I guess... The burning question 
in in many of my viewers' minds. Uh, I will have seen an interview with uh, Senator Hansen and some other coalition senators recently. Uh, and yep. the burning question is, is it cowardice to not do as you and Senator Rennick are doing? Um, why isn't every senator who ascribes to liberal values, which are clearly read and discoverable statements of beliefs, why aren't they taking the same stand? And and what are they doing, perhaps, that we might not know about? Yeah, look, it's a great question, Dave. And and in fact, um, I mean, it really does. And I and I and I hate using this um, terrible um, euphemism, but Parliament really is the sum. It's like the the various meats of the stew. Um, it's not for everyone to make this this call. I think, I mean, this is a pretty dramatic thing to do. Um, it doesn't require everybody to do that. I think what we're trying to do here is is push the point forward, bring it to the top of the pile. Um, and so it's a bit like a football team in many respects. We need, um, in my view, conservatives on every level. We need conservatives in the ministry, which we have. We need conservatives in the outer ministry, which we have. And we need people who are just simply doing the negotiation as well, of course, which you know cuts across party lines, into party lines, and, and so on and so forth. So um, everybody has a hand in this. I think um, people can safely operate under the assumption that um, those who say what they, they mean, I'm talking about a range of my colleagues, um, are doing work that perhaps can't be seen on the surface at the moment. Uh, I mean, there are many who are doing work inside the executive, inside the, you know, the ministry, which is critical to fixing a lot of the issues that are dear to our hearts, have done many of these 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 jobs along the way. Um, you know, if this was a football team, and I know I'm going into rugby league states here, so forgive me, this is an AFL state, um, but if I, was, if I was using a football analogy, not everybody can be a ruckman um, and not everybody can be a fullback. Uh, you know, we need people on uh, good conservatives on all stages of the political spectrum. And we need people um, at grassroots level as well. I mean, the reality here is that we need conservatives. And I, I keep saying this wherever I go, I'll say it until, you know, the end of my time in the, in the parliament. Um, part of the reason why we find ourselves in these predicaments is because conservatives have vacated the field of politics have vacated the field of public life. We need conservatives to become members of parties. We need conservatives to join their local school boards. We need conservatives to stand for local council and so on and so on, because um, the cumulative effect of the long march through the institutions is one of the reasons we see what we've got today. That's a, a really good um, point and, and something I, I like emphasising a, a lot on, on my channel and, and in the Good Source blog, um, and, and that is we're, we're not here to tickle your ears. We're trying to empower you and equip you to get yeah. into the fray, get off the sidelines. Um, and, and people like yourself uh, and Senator Rennick and uh, Senator Robertson Hanson and, and many other good, conservative, uh, well-principled politicians um, are powerless without vocal um, support behind them between elections. We don't just need volunteers on election days. Yeah, we actually right. need people to share this message today and that's to right. promise their local members and all the candidates that you get support uh, from being representative. And this is how you represent uh, the quiet Australians who do yeah. not like authoritarian overreach. And can I just say on that subject, Dave, just before we go on, you're absolutely right. And what we need, what people, what, what happens when people get involved with politics, that means, you know, joining a party and so on. Uh, often it, in, it lights a fire in people. I've seen it. I mean, and people who started off with, you know, wanting to do no more than hand out how to vote cards for their local member. 
Um, if we're getting those people into the, the machine engaged, then what we find is a lot of them grow into, um, uh, you know, into the next candidate. It's what happened with me. Um, I, I didn't really start with any particular aspirations and, and <laughs> before you know it, here you are. Um, so, you know, just getting that engagement is so important, getting people involved. It's, it's really critical. Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a question here. There's a good question, um, unfortunately, probably from someone in one of the groups that hasn't um, given StreamYard permission to use their name. Uh, so sorry that your name's hidden here, Facebook user, but your question is being asked. Is it right that the state governments are using federal data to enforce these vaccine passports? If so, if vaccine mandates are illegal federally, then surely stopping the use of the data is an easy step for the federal government to take? Great question. And it's and it, it is one of the very practical things which could be done in my view. Um, look, I mean, I, I, as to the legality of it as it currently stands, look, my understanding is it's not, not illegal for the state governments at the moment to use that information. And in fact, I think there is legislative provision that allows it. So, um, but of course, you know, um, that is one thing that we could look to do. And that is to simply stop the flow of data, which would then stop the flow of discrimination. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's no good uh, asking people whether or not they um, they can prove their vaccine status at the door of a football stadium if that stream of data is switched off. So I, I think that's a great observation and, and, and something that hopefully is live for discussion. Is there a particular ask uh, that you and Senator Rennick, either collectively or individually yourself, um, are asking? Um, it, like, yeah. Is it a general stand like SCOMO do something? Or do you have a specific course of action you're recommending is practical yeah. and doable? Yeah, it is. Look, I mean, the reality here is that it is a very, very difficult um, discussion to have in so far as, you know, logistically and practically. I mean, we're halfway down this road now in many respects. Many of the state government apparatus have already kicked into gear with a view that this is the way it's going to be and that we're going to be able to do this. And a lot of these vaccine passport regimes, I understand, are halfway down the road, if not more. Um, many of them are already there. So um, I think to pick a certain lane and swim only to that is very dangerous. Um, my view is we need to protect people from discrimination. Now, in a perfect world, uh, my view would be that would be legislative, and I and I think that's the way it should be, and that is my you know that is my hope. Um, but the, the the observation that was just put forward before is a very practical way of doing it, and because there might be others, um, and there may be other more clever legislative ways that I haven't been able to um, pick up. You know, uh, you know particular pieces of legislation or an angle that could do it to stop mandates. My, my feeling is that that's a very, um, you know, that's a difficult legislative path, but um, there are smarter brains than mine behind the scenes in Canberra that, that could find a way forward. So really the proposition from my point of view is we need to give people better protection from discrimination. What that looks like, we don't know, but it doesn't look like nothing. That's really the issue. Yeah. Um, now let's talk a little bit of philosophy. Um, political philosophy. I, I'm i a big fan of the Crown, of the Commonwealth, um, the Constitution, and federalism, the idea mm -hmm. that each of the states is sovereign and purposely different, uh, run differently. I love that if leftists are looking for a hellhole to call heaven, um, then they can have Victoria. And I would hope uh, that uh, if conservatives are looking for a place where freedom shines, then Queensland might might be that place. Although a very poor track record of conservatives being in government in Queensland, it's still somewhat survivable. Um, 
What is your thoughts about federalism? There's a lot of people who are anti-authoritarian who are wanting Scott Morrison to step in and run all the states and and you hear David Koch endlessly um, moaning uh, about differences in lockdown policy and yep. uh, chief health officer's advice, et cetera, um, as if he's never heard of a free market um, ever in his life, ironically. Um, mm. And so there will be a lot of viewers watching right now who think, you know, Scott Morrison, Morrison should stop the state's from governing social policy. Uh, where's the line? Where's the balance in, in your philosophy? Well, it's a, a very difficult one. I mean, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a conservative at heart, of course, and, and by nature, I'm uh, protective of the institutions and the traditions we have, which, of course, is one of federalism. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not somebody that would be, um, you know, looking to break down borders and, uh, and, and run as a one country type scenario, I have to say. I, I, having said that, I haven't really sat through the pros and cons of those arguments uh, at all. And in fact, I was reminded the other day, I think Adam Crichton, the Australian, wrote a really good article a couple of weeks ago, I reckon, about, um, and I almost spat my breakfast out to see him writing this, but um, uh, this issue of, uh, you know, the, the Bill of Rights and whether or not it needs to be reconsidered in this modern age. Um, it strikes me that there are some similarities with the arguments there in a sense that, you know, if you'd said that 12 months ago, or, you know, even less probably, uh, I would have just turned the page and thought, you know, this bloke's lost it. But he makes some really good points. That is, um, some of these issues that we thought were uh, protected, you know, that, that, that freedom of speech, you know, these sorts of things uh, in the 2019 version of Australia might now not be, and this, this pandemic may have actually showed that up a little bit. Um, so uh, now whether that's, I still, I gotta say, I still haven't, you know, quite computed all of that, but um, there are arguments for it. And the, con the converse arguments have always been, well, then we just give, uh, the judici judiciary, which is, you know, traditionally left-leaning, uh, more control over our lives. But um, so in the case of the argument about federalism, I, I just, I haven't, I haven't seen anything yet which um, leads me to draw away from this federalist position at this stage. I, I do, um, I do think though that we are, um, I, I, I think this period is going to give us cause for many, many years of soul searching about how we run. I mean, certainly the process has shown the dangers of, of the state-based federal system, whereby we have states doing their own thing, uh, even, you know, in the, in the, in the interests of, uh, of trying to get a pandemic finished off or dealt with. We've seen states running their own race. Unfortunately, states like Queensland, sometimes WA. Mm. Um, so I, I think there is, you know, I think when the dust settles, there will be a good conversation to be had about, you know, what that model looks like, and, and how we use it going forward. Of course, any of these things would require changes to the constitution, which are not easy, and I'm not suggesting that should be done, but um, it's baked in. The constitution served us pretty well over the over the duration, and I think that will probably be the case going forward. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I would like to see a return, a, a reinvigoration of constitutional principles with, as you said, the judiciary uh, successively, the high court in particular, successively ruling in favour of Commonwealth rights over state rights over the past 100 years. It's it, it's not closely representing uh, what our founding fathers wisely um, envisaged and, and planned for us. And, and it comes back to, I guess, this uh, philosophy of what are your values? And that is the purpose of a constitution. What are the things right. uh, which will guide our decisions in the future when the decisions are not easy? for that constitution and for those values to be easily cast aside when inconvenient, uh, yeah. I, I think is 
made it easy for me. And it's no, it's no credit. It's, it doesn't take a super brain. I, I think everybody should have seen right at the beginning of this. In fact, I'm probably critical of, rather than self-congratulatory, I'm critical of people who didn't see that um, precedents are problems. Uh, even if we could trust the government of our state or, or nation right now, uh, who, how do we know what the character of soon governments or distant future governments uh, might do with the power of those precedents? And, and so... Um, that is the purpose of our value statements. The Liberal Party uh, has, you know, in, in state governments uh, in South Australia and New South Wales been illiberal um, which and, and gone against their own belief, statements of belief. Um, and so I don't think when states run things badly, we're justified to say we found a problem with the Constitution. I don't think it, it will ever run perfectly. Uh, and and the process is patience. Uh, like we've we've had some really bad senates in in recent elections with really obscure, crazy people uh, in the crossbench, and the next election solved that. Um, and so democracy, and our constitution, one of the oldest surviving, still functioning constitutions in the world, has some ability to self-correct if we're just a little patient with it. Um, and and I think that that is part of, of what we're doing right now is educating people and saying, you know, these values are what we should be talking about and, and coming back to as opposed to constantly tinkering with it and trying to improve it while actually breaking things. Yep, I totally agree. I mean, that's a very good summary of, of the situation. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you've got to remember the Constitution when it was drafted had never heard of the concept of, uh, of the Internet. Um, you know, and yet it still serves us well today, properly interpreted, um, using that telecommunications power to sort of project laws uh, which deal with the internet, um, which deal with, you know, all sorts of uh, things that didn't exist in, you know, in the turn of last century. So um, it is a matter of interpretation. I think the framework is good. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, once again, without sounding too partisan about it, it's the importance of having conservatives on the high court. I mean, you know, it's another example of... of uh, where, where we need to go. And, and people that are, um, I suppose, you know, uh, au fait with that, that principle you just discussed about the Constitution being sacrosanct and it protecting rather than sort of extending some of these powers. Um, you know, all of that is very true. And, uh, and, and, and look, I think, you know, this once again, I mean, I could, I can use this as the, uh, with the picture of the Queen behind you with some, hopefully with some comfort that we are um, you know, I'm a constitutional monarchist as well. I believe in that system. And if, and if you don't believe in that system, you don't believe in our system in one sense. But I'm puzzled and concerned about Charles taking the throne. Well, that doesn't mean we throw away the entire system and the monarchy. Uh, it just simply means that, you know, we've got to adapt to a new world where the monarch is telling us to drive an electric car. So it's just, it might be a patience test for all of us, perhaps, in that instance. Yeah, and it's very hard in our culture. Uh, look, here's another point about patience. Um, conservatives are very quick to lose patience uh, today in this day and age. Maybe not historically. William Wilberforce took a generation of political career, a whole lifetime, to abolish the slave trade. It was his right. life's work. He started at the age of 21 and it was months, weeks before his deathbed at an old age when it finally achieved. Um, it, so maybe it's not historical that conservatives are impatient, but today 
when the Liberal Party um, is, you know, not easy and quick to renew to its original Menzian values, uh, people leave and throw the towel in um, instead of persisting for the long fight. The fight that, as you mentioned before, the march through the institutions has taken some 70 years to get to this point, and we're not prepared to spend seven years to fix it. That's right. uh, and, and so some patience is, is definitely going to be a virtue in taking back that which um, we, we should have never conceded, um, but we did. And, and so, yeah, um, yeah, discussion. I'm enjoying it. How are you going? It's a, it's, a, it's a very good point. I mean, you know, I often say to conservatives, um, politics needs passionate people with patience, which is one of those awful alliterations, which I will scold myself for afterwards but i love um, alliterations i, I well, I'm, I'm clapping you've done well <laughs> I love it. it made me uncomfortable but i use it anyway um so the, the the truth is that it's it's true i mean you know we, we 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 need we have you're absolutely right when you say that the long march through the institution is so named not because it was a quick stroll but because it was in fact a long march right. uh and it has it has um expanded out it has gone into schools universities and I think most alarmingly in the last little period here, we're talking into the media, the mainstream media, not shows like this, uh, but um, but into, uh, you know, the corporate world. I mean, that's something that, that was probably, if you were paying attention, not hard to see, but from where I was sitting, quite difficult to imagine a world where, you know, corporations now are almost engaging in social engineering rather than um, rather than simply selling a product, uh, that that's hard to believe. I always would have thought that the, the almighty dollar was important to these companies, but that's how far the long march has gone. So uh, right. the conservative cause has a long way back. Um, I think there are lots of quick uh, wins that can be had on the way through, and I think that there are going to be. I mean, politics is a you know, pendulum um, sort of effect, but um, it, it is going to take time. Um, and, you know, once again, I'll use a sporting analogy. You, you build that team by by, you know, in, in AFL terms, going back to the draft and restocking. Uh, and it's not overnight, but it will happen. Yeah. So Kresher is pushing back here, a viewer on YouTube, Kresher Kresimir, um, have patience with evil criminals, question mark. Uh, okay. And then he says, next time the ATO requests more information, I'll ask him to be patient as I take decades to respond. Okay, <laughs> so your line of argument there, Kresher, is, is that um, you're meant to gladly... You, you're inferring you're meant to gladly endure um, bad and, and corrupt ideas. No, that's not the point. The point is to persist for the sake of prevailing um, and not quitting um, in the wrestle because it's difficult. Definitely fight against them. But sometimes the fight's going to take a, a long time. So, yeah, don't. it's not about suffering or even promoting them. So here's a tip, and I, I'll take you off screen, Alex, so you don't get associated mm -hmm. with my weird, um, maybe controversial statements. It's okay to be a member of the Liberal Party because it's the best of a bunch of bad options, uh, you know, with a chance of forming government, there's two, uh, and, and to not vote for them. It's okay to pay your membership fees and donate to a different party and vote for a better candidate. Uh, in fact, you're crazy if you don't do exactly that. You have to get into the party that you have the best chance of influencing for the long term. But today and the next election, you should support the best candidate, whatever party they're from, and donate to them and help their election chances while communicating to your candidates and your party what your values are and, 
and you need to be part of that to have a chance of influencing that. And uh, that's officially, um, uh, what do you, what's, what's that? Uh, I can't think of the legal term, a disclaimer that's uh, not Alex's opinion, that's mine. Um, no, so. no, no I'm, I'm a proud member of the Liberal Party and would always uh, encourage people to vote that way. Well, well said and uh, necessarily so. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's the what patience requires is you have to be in it to have a chance of improving it. Um, all right. I, I think we're pretty well wrapped up. I don't want to keep um, wasting your time and beating um, oh, topic to, to a pulp. Um, any, any final comments or, or thoughts? Anything we haven't um, brought to the table, Alex, you'd like to? Oh, look, no, Dave, look, just thanks for having me. It's good to have the opportunity to speak to um, like-minded people about issues that are really important. I think the sort of work that you're doing here, um, you know, uh, there's a whole different discussion about the the, the future of media, but I, I think the sort of work you're doing here increasingly is the future of media, because uh, it is very clear that there's a you know a, a thirst for um, conservative news outlets which are just not you know being heard in the mainstream and, and in fact even on you know all sorts of platforms. So um, look, I just I really like the opportunity to be able to come here and talk uh, you know frankly about some of the issues that are really really important. Um, this is probably one of them. It's been a difficult two years. We're hoping this is getting towards the culmination, we hope. Um, but there are some important, I think, matters of principle that we need to um, tidy up. I, my concern is that some of the things we're talking about, uh, of course, will lead to further incursions on freedoms. I don't want to see us drift into a world of climate lockdowns and uh, apps on your phone telling you that, uh, you know, you've had your one tank of petrol for the year and, you know, because we've become accustomed to this sort of style of of government. I don't want to see this develop into it's at any point down the future into a social credit style system. Um, that's for the Chinese Communist Party, not for Australia, and we've just got to protect our freedom. So it's great to know there are people out there who share those views, and we'll keep fighting for them as long as uh, as long as they'll have me in the great building. So uh, <laughs> however long that may be. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for your kind words, and uh, thanks for your, your um, principled stand. I'll sign off, but don't go away. We'll I'll come right back and, and say goodbye to you privately. Thank you, Senator Antic. Well, that's uh, Senator Alex Antic um, live from his office in Adelaide. And uh, thanks very much to him for making the time to have a chat to us. And, of course, for uh, putting convictions before his career uh, and, and making a stand against vaccine mandates. Uh, I need to let you know that this Saturday night I'll be helping host the uh, the online streaming of the CPAC Christmas party held here in Brisbane, probably one of the last events I'll be allowed to go to as a free Australian. Uh, and it would be great for you to join us for the live stream of that. There's going to be a great lineup of people. Senator Matt Canavan is our special guest from the night, and he'll be interviewed by Gary Hardgrave. Gary will be joined by Daisy Cousins and also George Christensen after the uh, a speech and Q and A with Matt Canavan, um, and it will be a great night, great night, including the audience, and we'll try and have a lot of you there as well. So you can watch that on uh, my channel, also on the CPAC Australia Facebook page and uh, YouTube channel, and it would be great for you to head along there and download the CPAC app so that we can let you know about future events. There's going to be a massive conference at Luna Park next year, hopefully without restrictions. 
Well, that's it for this episode. Don't forget, if you'd like to become a supporter, uh, head to davepello.com. You'll be able to see all my recent shows and articles there. Um, and thank you very much to the Pello Talk supporters who generously put their hand in their pocket for $5, 10 or $20 every month just to help me keep up this work. Uh, without you, there's uh, less people to keep the lying harlot media accountable and uh, give uh, good politicians uh, a platform to express a nuanced um, defence of, of their positions. Thank you very much. That's it for this show, and uh, we will see you online. Bye.